Now that we have acknowledged our underwriters, it's time to meet our interview guests tonight, Kathy Wolf and John Dover. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And just adjusting microphones here. Um, well, last month, both our interview guests were first-time storytellers on True Tales Radio, and the two of you are veterans of our stage. Um, can you each tell us about the first time you told a story on True Tales Radio? Um, how'd you feel then? What do you remember about that night? And how's it different now? Um, I don't remember the first time I told a story here. The first story I remember telling was at 3S Art Space for the show uh, that they have called um, Long Story Short. And my hat name got drawn out of a hat to tell, tell a story off the cuff. And it worked really well because um, I told a story that was funny. And everyone else had told, all of the assigned storytellers were all very serious and heavy-duty stories. So people really needed something lighter, and I, it worked well. It worked so. well. Yeah, and John, do you remember? Yeah, I told a story here. I, I, it was a couple of years ago. Um, it involved uh, my mother catching me in bed with my girlfriend, and I, I went downstairs, and she says to me, I expected this of your sisters, but not you. <laughs> that was the punchline. Um, I was I had practiced the story quite a bit, and I thought it had gone great in the practice. But when I got here and actually, you know, faced the audience and everything, wow, it was much tougher. I was feeling really nervous, and um, I realized how much tougher it is to do it like in front of an audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, we always tell people that. Everyone has a story and anyone can tell a story. Um, before we go much further into the interview, can you each tell us a little bit about yourselves? <laughs> as a story? As, as a story or <laughs> an elevator speech or a pitch for... I grew up on Long Island in New York, climbing trees and racing bikes around and avoiding piano lessons um, and writing poetry and thinking I would write children's stories and illustrate them when I grew up. Instead, I went to journalism school at University of Missouri and was a reporter for different newspapers and the Associated Press uh, until I decided to quit that, got involved in some political uh, anti-Seabrook, anti anti-nuclear work, and couldn't go back to straight media. So I started doing um, writing for uh, universities, UNH, Dartmouth, Tufts, music school over in Concord. Um, freelancing, magazine articles, etc. I only got into telling stories after I retired a few years ago. Okay, yeah. And well, oh, and I, I live in Kittery, Maine. Got married along the way and unmarried, married again, unmarried, same person, twice. And uh, had a son who's 33 and lives in Chicago and works for an ad agency called Ogle V. Mather. Okay, which is a very famous ad agency. Yes, I have a marketing degree in Ogilvy Mather's part of the curriculum along the way, that name. John? I grew up on Long Island climbing trees, um, and I we moved to New Jersey when I was in about fifth grade, um, so I kind of feel like I was really New Jersey because I lived there until I graduated from high school. Um, went to college in upstate New York. Uh, we, I lived in Philly for a couple of years with uh, my girlfriend. Um, 
went out to graduate school in, in Utah. I, I had wanted to be an author when I was a kid, and I never really did anything about it. And then after college, I decided I'd get a, um, a PhD in physiological psych and study the brain, and that didn't happen either, and wound up being a guidance counselor for 40 years. And um, that was a really good occupation for me. Right. And I did not grow up in Long Island. <laughs> I grew up in Westchester. So we'll just talk oh, about growing up in New York and <laughs> scrap the rest of the interview for this evening. Uh, what are the ch- what are the odds? Um, yeah. As, have stories played always played a role in your life um, that you were aware of or? I've always loved literature, um, stories of any kind. And I think I got really turned on to um, like oral stories when I started listening to The Moth and um, This American Life. Sometimes there'll be storytellers and I just loved it as soon as I heard that. So um, when I found out um, from Amy that there was storytelling going on here. I'm like, I got to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. So it's um, been a challenge for me. Like I said, I get nervous before it, but um, I, I love it. Right. And mm-hmm. Kathy, as a writer, stories must have. Yeah, but um, true stories, yeah. um, because I only wrote, I was a reporter. Uh, so I, I, I've never been very good with the once upon a time stories. After I got out of uh, grade school, I was no longer writing about large dogs on clouds and things like that. But um, but oral stories, I remember going to camp as a kid, not that that ties in with tonight's story, and telling ghost stories. And one girl, I told a story about, uh, uh, I don't know, it, it, it floats, it floats, it, it, blood coming out of eyes or something. And I loved telling them. I just loved it. And uh, she had nightmares all night, and I got in trouble with the counselors. And yet I remember that I had this little bit of pride <laughs> that I had actually moved her to nightmares, <laughs> you know, which was a little <clears throat> dark. But <laughs> Those stories are awesome. I love them. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, speaking, you know, of our childhood memories, do you remember did you, a favorite story that you had as a child that you like reading or being read to or hearing? Uh, my father would read to us. Um, he read me uh, Sir Lancelot, King Arthur and the Round Table. Um, he read us Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn did a lot of reading to us, and that was probably the my favorite part of growing up. Um, I just loved that. So, I mean, from a really early time, it was it was part of me, and it's never it's always been that an yeah. important source of I don't know energy for me. Our parents read to us also every night before bedtime, yeah. all of the Oz books, every single one, including Glinda of Oz, who could trade heads out. She had all these different heads in a closet. I loved that one. Uh, and um, and the Uncle Wiggly books, Uncle Wiggly books that always ended with something like, and we'll return tomorrow if the teapot decides to marry the spoon or whatever. <laughs> they always had something weird like that at the end of the chapter. Um, classics, not as much. Uh, it's funny you mentioned uh, Tom Sawyer because when um, when I had my, when my son was young, his father and I first we read him every Daniel Pinkwater book we could find because we found that guy to be hysterical. Uh, but then we tried started reading Tom Sawyer, and we realized we couldn't because we started getting really uptight about the accent, 
and thinking that Tyler was too young, he might start mimicking it, and then people might think he was making fun of black people, so we couldn't read it to him. It got very odd, so we did not read him Tom Sawyer. But, um, yeah, another one that I forgot is Winnie the Pooh. That was a special oh. favorite of my father. So we spent we listened to Winnie the Pooh a whole lot. I loved Winnie the Pooh. And um, yeah, it was uh, like I said, it was really an important part of my youth, and I think it really helped me in terms of understanding, you know, um, and making connections between people too. It, it, uh, <laughs> I had a Winnie the Pooh doll. It was about three inches tall. It wore pink checked underpants from a Ginny doll, I think. And I did everything with that. Winnie the Pooh. Nothing from his book, but I made him a parachute and threw him out the window. I put him in a boat and let him go down toward a sewer. I caught him in time. And I just love that, mm. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. 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 Kathy, your True Tales bio, um, which they may have recycled a little bit, um, said at the time that you wanted to get a camper and hit the road for a few months. Um, That's my last story. Yes. Um, well, what drives this wanderlust? Um, are you the type of person that's always like in search of a new adventure, search of a new story, search of a new perspective? Hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of like to think of myself that way, but I really probably am more rooted than... Um, than my image of myself or the image I would care to project. I've lived in the same house about 20 years now in Kittery, and when I think of leaving it, um, I have a lot of mixed feelings. It's pretty attached to the gardens there. I've been spending all summer reading and weeding and weeding and reading. <laughs> and uh, the, the fantasy of, um, I, I had my knee replaced this last winter, and I think I was laid up for so long. I signed up for three different retreats, <laughs> all of which I had to go and do then. And, and I, um, I started fantasizing about getting a camper and taking off because I haven't seen the West. And when you're 68 and you get something like a new knee, you start thinking about, well, I might have 20 years left. I better do something. Uh, and then I kind of let go of that. Someone told me about a friend who had an unbucket list. That they were, they very systematically were taking things out of the bucket, and it just made such a nice image to me. Is don't, don't fret, your aging, with worries of things you aren't going to do, right? Or think you should do. Yes, bucket yeah. lists are almost keeping a scoreboard on yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like the moth. I mean, the way the moth approaches storytelling yeah. with scorecards and things. So. Yeah. Yep. John, you mentioned you're a retired high school guidance counselor, and. Well, I imagine you've heard quite a lot of stories um, from a lot of students in that role. Um, Absolutely. Any you can share with us or... Um, Change the names. Or you'd like to talk about the <laughs> stories that you... The teenager's ability to spin stories? You know, that, that was really the part of the job that I loved best, um, was just sitting there with kids and hearing about their lives. And I'm sure that... At times, they would spin things a little bit. But for the most part, I felt like they were pretty honest with me. And um, I don't know if I can think of examples. But, I mean, everything that you can imagine um, is kind of what I heard from one point to the other. And um, it was just, I mean, just getting someone's kind of basic a sense of them like that, um, it's really wonderful. Yeah, there's lots of other parts of the job that I wasn't as fond of, but talking to kids was great. Yeah, yeah I, I felt that way also as a reporter because I had a license to ask anything I wanted to. And you stop being a good reporter when you think there are things you can't ask. Um, 
and it doesn't mean you have to be anyway I I like that part of the job and finding people's stories I enjoyed writing profiles almost more than anything else when I was getting paid to write yeah yeah um, but I unfortunately I can't think off the top of my head of a um, special story um, but yeah you you know in the process of hearing them you start to I, I, I think just kind of being with someone it's it's something that um, is important for people to be heard and um, so even though it didn't feel like doing that much people really appreciated that okay. yeah. Yeah. now you know back to our stories um, when you Think about the stories that you like to tell. Um, what do you like your stories to primarily accomplish? Um, entertain, inform, touch emotion, something else? Or in other words, are you most comfortable going for the lap, going for the tissues, or going having people go into action? I mean, honestly, with me, John, um, it's kind of a way, it's sort of therapeutic. It's a way of, and I, I don't, I mean, I'll come out with things that are pretty revealing about myself, but I don't care. I, I mean, it, for me, it, that's a good thing to be able to express things uh, about myself, even though it, it feels really vulnerable. Um, but I think some of them uh, can be funny and sometimes not funny at all. And so it kind of runs the gamut for me. Mm. I think most of, the, most of the stories I've told here um, and the three S. One of the two three one one of the two I told over at three S. That gets confusing. Um, were funny, or I aimed at them being funny. So I definitely went for laughs, um, and there would always be something stitched under it because you don't really have good laughs unless there is some pathos right, of some right. kind in there. Um, the one tonight is not funny uh, at all that I will tell. Um, uh, it involves fire and pain and lack of control, um, emotional pain. So we we'll, won't we'll get graphic pain. Um, and with those, uh, it, there is, like you say, John, a catharsis involved more than entertainment. Um, I used to write a newsletter uh, at, at, the, at uh, Tufts Medical School, and the one thing I promised in this newsletter was um, we, I pr promised to inform and never bore. And I think it's really important in storytelling to avoid boring, boring anyone at all. And Amy and uh, Pat are great in their advice in the workshops because what they say, and they got this from the moth, is you have to have a stake. You personally have to have a stake in the story you're telling, an engagement in it. And only then will the people who are hearing it have a stake in it. You have to, to feel what you're saying. You have to care about it. It's, it seems as if often, though, some people translate the idea of stake, and tell me if you think, agree with me on this, as almost a moral lesson. And I don't, that's not the way I read it. Uh, it for me, having a stake in a story is being as engaged as I want the people who hear it to be, um, without cheap shots, without cheap tricks to do that, you know. Um, and, and I try to cut myself off at the point where, and all this means, and a little moral, you know, lesson at the end. I try to avoid that. Yeah, that's smart. Um, it sneaks in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, right. Are there are there stories you 
about your life that you can tell in a storytelling setting that you don't ordinarily tell, say, in a conversational setting? Does storytelling give you a permission to reveal things about yourself that you might not in another setting or in another way? For me, it definitely does. Um, in fact, sometimes when I'm at the workshops that we do, I'll be listening to someone else's story, and I, I think of a story. It reminds me of something that's happened to me, yeah. and I'll say, "I, I got to tell that story." Um, but um, I've tried doing storytelling at parties and stuff like that. But it, I think it's better when it's more kind of anonymous. Um, so uh, this venue really works for me, and um, I think to the extent that I can make myself vulnerable in my stories, that's kind of where I want to be. I have a, most of my friends are, are pretty ver verbal and really rowdy and we tend to interrupt each other all the time. <laughs> and uh, so what I love about getting on stage and telling a story is I get to tell the whole story with nobody <laughs> interrupting me uh, or second guessing me or saying, oh, that reminds me of and, and tangential ADD kind of conversations that tend to uh, populate the potlucks that I go to frequently. So <laughs> Sometimes I wish that people could ask questions while I'm telling the story, <laughs> no, which why? would constitute an interruption, but because it would help me to kind of like remember other aspects of what I'm trying to say. But that that's just not the way it works. And, you know, you learn to work within the system. I mean, part of it is like working as a counselor, you're in the classroom a lot. So, you know, when you're telling a story or when you're trying to get an idea across, it's really helpful to have a conversation going. Well, next month is open theme night and I can pitch the idea of, you know, like you and three assistants in the audience designated to ask questions and experimental <laughs> storytelling. Okay. <laughs> um, Kathy, you live in the Kittery Foreside um, where you're a bit of, I would say, community activist. Um, no, it's just keeping one old house on our street from being torn down and right. starting to try and figure out what the foresight might be able to do in the future to maintain its funky character, which it's going to lose really fast as it tries to become another Portsmouth mm -hmm. or as people try to make it that. Right, because in essence, you're trying to tell the story of the neighborhood of the house, uh, the story of the vision of what it could be or shouldn't be. Well, I, I think it's more trying to get people to... Uh, be aware of that and, and, and how easily it can slip into high-end condos. Um, so so it isn't me telling or other people telling. It's more a trying to get a collective neighborhood sharing our consciousness or understand what our shared goals are. And that's getting hard because the neighborhood's changing. Right. You I, know, and, and you are having an effect because I do live in Kittery Point. And when I go down to the foreside, I actually... You know, having listened to you look at the buildings a little more, um, read the articles, there's, you look at it in a different light. Um, so that it's the, yeah, you kind of look at it like, well, in essence, these buildings, this neighborhood has a story to tell and a story we need to preserve. It does, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has stories, but they, they're not always available to the to their thinking process and to the extent that you can just kind of listen um, and you can help people to find their voices and help them with their stories, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah. And now, John, um, a lot of your stories, or some of the ones I've heard, um, seem to come from your adventures or misadventures <laughs> um, in your younger days. Um, as your life was unfolding back in the day, um, were you thinking to yourself, am I going to have some great stories to tell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us were. <laughs> no. I, like I said, I wanted to be a novelist when I was a kid, and but um, I never thought my life was at all interesting. And, the, and the, some of the things that I've told stories about, like my, I don't think my parents would even have recognized the stories when I'm retelling them. Uh, and I know that my sisters aren't always happy to be included in the stories. So um, uh, those family reunions get tough. huh? Yeah, they, they can't. Yeah. But um, um, they've cut me a lot of slack. So Yep, you still having those youthful misadventures today? I really like the idea of adventure, but as Kathy was kind of saying, I, it's, it takes more out of me. It's a little <laughs> bit more stressful, but I still like, love adventure, yes. I mean, I just, this, uh, this last week, um, I went and worked four hours on a lobster boat because I'd never done it, and I wanted to see what it was like. I have a friend who's a commercial lobsterman in Gloucester, and he'd invited me several times. So I finally went down there and put on the rain pants and the big rubber gloves and stinked for two days of bait and uh, worked four, well, it was only four hours. He usually goes out 12 to 14. Um, but it was fun. And so I guess if one counts that as a slight adventure. I think so. Then I'm, That's hard work, though. It's just, it was hard, I, but that's what I realized. I really like hard physical work. Uh-huh. Uh, what types of stories do you each like to listen to? I like them off uh, a lot um, for uh, more narrative uh, story or narrative. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, I, I really love some of the series that you can stream. I'm in the middle of Orange is the New Black, third season or whatever it is right now. Um, I've been trying to get through The Outlander. I loved House of Cards mainly because I thought Kevin Spacey's the greatest actor in the world. Um, so all those are like ongoing uh, stories. And, and I think culturally we engage a lot more now with video uh, and movies than we do with books. But I'm trying to think what I read recently. I read a book called All the Lightness, All the Light That You Can't See by Arthur Doerr. Uh, and it was incredible. It was a World War II story. Great book. A really, really beautiful yeah. novel yeah. Uh, about World War II. So I like that that story. I, I read usually read New Yorker's short stories, but only after I've read all the cartoons and uh, the intro, the talk of the town. Um, and I still read news. You know, I mean, news. A well-written news story to me is of great value because there's they're fewer and fewer. Um, Journalism has fallen. John? I mean, I like stories where people can really talk from their heart um, and, like, have this real emotional honesty. Some of the stories that I've heard in the workshops have just kind of blown me away. Um, They can be really funny at times and um, really kind of just beautiful um, to hear these people, like, tell their stories and you can kind of feel the emotion um, that they were experiencing when these things happened, like people being, you know, thrown out of their houses and how they dealt with that. Um, it's really uh, um, th- those kind of stories where, you know, people can be really truthful and honest about their emotions. Those are the ones that really grab me, I think. Yeah. Do you have, either mm. of you have favorite storytellers that you like to read or listen to? Here? 
here or anywhere? Um, oh, who's that guy, Jay, um, that tells children's stories, but also adult? He tells stories about NASA. Uh, Jay, do you know who I'm talking about? He leads workshops in storytelling. Anyway, he's, he's incredibly good. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Offhand. I, no, I can't. I, I don't know storytelling well enough to be able to, uh, you know, name people or anything like that. But um, I, I love listening to The Moth. And um, there's, there's, there's two or three other ones now, um, which I'm trying to remember, um, uh, that I also really like. Um, so This American Life yeah. has great stories. Yeah. I, I think that storytelling actually is reshaping the way we consider news, too, because This American Life is, is always presenting stories that you might have seen as a magazine feature in the past. And Snap, snap Judgment, Snap? Yes, Snap Judgment. Snap yes. Judgment. And they also start bringing in other elements of sound in a way that straight storytelling, you think of it just being one person telling a story. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people that maybe aren't very effusive, but they tell these stories that are so gripping, um, and um, it just pulls me right into it. Like, I, I feel like I'm right there with them. So um, it really just kind of takes me out of myself, which is that's where I want to be. Right, right. Well, <laughs> we are coming to the end of our interview segment. Do either of you have um, any last thoughts, any Parting words, like when I'm interviewing the actors, like on audio theater between shows, it's like that's just where they always get to pitch their resume and any producers out there. Um. Well, like I said before, I, I think uh, everybody has stories. They don't, they're not always available to them. Um, but if you start to write um, a little bit, like keep, keeping a journal, that can help you to become aware of some of the things that have happened. And if they, if people come to the, these workshops, that I found them to be extremely helpful in terms of, um, you know, finding my own voice and getting more comfortable. Because it, it, the first time you get up there and talk in front of people, it is a little bit, you know, nerve wracking. So it takes a little practice. My biggest challenge is trying to get away from uh, reading, reading, because I am an essayist and I was writing a lot of essays, and most a lot of those came into being stories here. Um, so to try and not read, but tell without memorization the story is a real challenge for me um and i but i i find it um i find things end up fresher if i do that right right well you know if you're willing to tackle a lobster boat and, and be successful i'm sure you can do that too <laughs> well kathy and john thank you both for being here tonight thank you. Um, thanks so much the folks here in the studio are now getting the katherine tucker window warning that i'm going to go play her on the cd um and we are getting ready to switch out to Soundstage 909, and we will listen to the two of you later on this evening. Great. Thank, Thank you, you, Kathy and John. Thanks.